Hi, I'm Gio. And I'm Renee, and this is Listen to Me Podcast, where you get all the greatest and unqualified advice from qualified creatives. Basically, we go through it so you can panic because you didn't think of a joke. (laughs) (laughs) I thought you were going to say you could panic because your computer is taking five years to do what you thought would take five minutes to update. And now our half an hour to record our intro is down to 12 12 minutes. minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, hi, hello. Hi, how are you doing? I'm good. I spent most of the weekend outside in nature, so. Nice. Has the weather there been good? Beautiful. Today it's 20. Yeah, I want you to shut the fuck up and die. Thanks. Why don't you (laughs) shut the fuck up? It's it's the first day of spring. Uh, obviously, this will come out after that. But just for context, mm-hmm. um, it's minus one here and it is snowing. So we didn't go outside. It's the first day of spring and I'm freezing my ass off. <laughs> <laughs> Why do I fucking live here? <laughs> no idea anymore. Oh, it's awful. I got to walk the dogs for an hour and a half yesterday, though, and it was actually quite pleasant. We were out in the sun. Yeah. Speaking of dogs uh, and your dog specifically. (laughs) So Dan Snow. He's getting a Corgi. He got it already. And I've I've gotten, I've received videos and photos. It is the cutest little thing. Potato. (laughs) I didn't know those existed. Yeah. I don't know. Mac is, I don't know if Mac qualifies as a long hair because his long hair is technically from his Aussie shepherd heritage. So I don't know if that's how you qualify a long haired Corgi or if that, that does probably doesn't count, I guess, for the purists. I'm gonna say no because okay. I just remember when he was little, he did not look the way that Merlin looks, which mm. is the name of said new puppy. That is cute. <laughs> that is cute. Oh my god. Yeah. So let's see. Talk we could about... have had oh. two corgis named Merlin and Arthur. That's what I was gonna say. <laughs> oh my god. I love. That's one of my favorite Disney movies. All oh, the Sword in the, the Stone. Stone. That scene. With the fucking squirrels. Yeah, you love that. <laughs> Forgot about that. Oh my gosh. So Mad Mim. <laughs> yeah, Madam Mim. Oh my yeah. gosh. Yes. Since we're running out of time, yeah, why don't we you go ahead and intro our lovely guest today. <laughs> Let's segue into it. Yeah. Um, so I'm really looking forward to talking to Allison. Notice how I didn't say excited because you made fun of me. <laughs> Um, I wouldn't have even noticed at this point. I forgot. (laughs) (laughs) Allison Clark, uh, she also writes under the pen name AC Clark. Um, She's written books for kids. Uh, She's also like a multidisciplinary artist. So she does some painting as well. She has a fantasy realm that she has developed called Word Niverden, I think. She'll have mm-hmm. to make sure she, she gets me on the pronunciation there. But all of her books in the Sisterhood series take place in that universe. And then recently she wrote a book about Phyllis Wheatley that was published in 2020 by University of Calgary Press. And if you don't know, Phyllis Wheatley famously is one of the first Black women in America who wrote who wrote really prolifically and she wrote poetry. And she, she was adopted by a white couple from what I remember. And she wrote from the 
problematic perspective of being like a self-professed like white soul trapped in a black body so a lot of her work is like anti-racist work because it's based on this acknowledgement that like she is a human being but she was not treated as such because of the color of her skin right Mm -hmm. and she explores that in her poetry but it's through the lens of the day which is like that she's trying to assimilate essentially and and can't because of the color of her skin. So Allison wrote a book of poetry about Phyllis's poetry. So I'm really looking forward to hearing about what her process was for for that because I don't know that much about Phyllis Wheatley. I read about her in Stamped from the Beginning by Ibram X. Kendi, which is a book that I've talked about before on the podcast and I highly recommend. I'm looking forward to talking to Allison. I haven't seen her in person since the 2019 Writers Guild Conference and she is just so lovely. Like when she is in the room it's she is such a presence even though um she's quite short she has just like this way of I don't know she's just so welcoming and sweet and very I just find her very lovely so I'm looking forward to talking to her she sounds lovely I was creep I was creeping her earlier and uh, I'm really excited to actually talk about her paintings yeah I can't wait to hear what she has to say (laughs) about her creative process We can't see you. You are a beautiful flower. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) If only all flowers had such a like docile, nice voice like that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. How are you guys doing? Good. Good. Uh, How are you? How has quarantine life been? Uh, We're working through it, right? And let's see, how do we start this video here? It's kind of strange. It usually comes up. There should be a button at the bottom that says, uh, like, with the camera icon. Oh, there you go. Oh, yeah. <gasps> okay. Allison, your hair. I've never seen you with long hair it's before. Different. It's just different. I love it. <laughs> Thank you. Hello. Hi. <laughs> nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. I miss seeing people. I don't, I miss seeing people. Us, too. Yeah. <laughs> That is like, that is an understatement, <laughs> but it's nice to actually be able to hang with people online, I don't, like in a setting yeah. that's not a zoom call where you're like talking yeah. about work. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, Allison's yeah. here literally to talk about work, but I am mine. We so really, Renee, how are you doing? I haven't seen you in over a year, if not two. I was just saying, I think the last time we saw each other was probably either at like a WGA event in Edmonton or maybe at the conference in 2019. Yeah. So that's all right. Yeah. I'm okay. I got a little story published on a beer can. <laughs> My first ever author credit. Yay. Started this podcast with Geo. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Yeah. Any part of my uh, workshops, right? All ready to go? Hey. Oh, yeah. I'm excited. Next weekend, right? I think one is this coming weekend. I That's think. right. Yeah. I think you're right. Calendar. Yeah. I'm looking forward to yeah. it. Yeah. It should be fine. It should be fine. Again, I prefer doing it face to face, but not possible right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So now you need to Zoom. I, I was doing a whole bunch of practice sessions on Zoom for what I wanted to do. It's not too bad, but you can do a lot more face to face, you see. It's just, it's frustrating for me. Now you get this new landscape and kind of go with it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm enjoying the writer in residence um, to the Alexandra Writer Center. 
Mm-hmm. It's good. I think uh, manuscript consultations, doing some art tomorrow. Then I get a break to catch up on things. So I'm doing that and I'm working on another project right now. As soon as this residency is done, I'll focus more on that and just get this thing finished. I'm hoping to have the next project done by end of July. Is it another like sisterhood book or is it something different? Fantasy is fantasy. It's all I can tell you. It's fantasy. Yeah. Yes. Yay. Have you read my sisterhood books? I can't remember. You have. I haven't. I want to. I need to. Yeah, you should. Well, are you? You're in Edmonton, though, aren't you? Mm-hmm. You're in Edmonton, Renee. You can get chapters. There's at Terra Losa, all three books, and chapters in St. Albert. You That's so far books. away. I'm like in the other end of the city. That's like up in the west end of freaking St. Albert. St. Albert okay, is like the other. It's not even Edmonton. As somebody yeah. who has lived in Edmonton, I don't think St. Albert is that far from where you are. Ugh, it is when you never leave your house. I don't even go grocery shopping anymore. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. It's like, I'm like, it's not that far, girl. <laughs> not to drag you. But Terralos is not far. It's just Yeah, it's like south of West End. See, they're in, the, in the bookstores and chapters, they're all signed, you see. That's what I'm saying. Mm. You buy I should do that. I have a book buying moratorium because I have so many things to read right now that it's like, I'm trying not to buy anymore until I make it at least a dent in my reading pile. Not happening. I'm going to do it. Okay. I'm going to the Terralosa chapters tomorrow, Allison. Yay. The moratorium is being lifted. I love fantasy. I love world building and stuff. It's just so much fun. Yeah. No, really. It's just so refreshing. So refreshing. Yay. Uh, I'm not going with the headphones. Is that okay? Okay, well, let me know if I get all crackly because I've heard like 20 minutes half an hour and I get crackly and to log out, log back in. So let me know. Tell us who you are, a little bit about what you write and what you love to to make. Okay, well, I'm Allison Clark. I'm a local fantasy author and poet. So I'm author of the award-winning and, and locally best-selling Sisterhood series. So I'll start with that. So the first book, the Sisterhood book one. So Opie, daughter of sorceress, and her best friend's a dragon, Ori. And they go on adventures to save the universe and they kick butt. <laughs> and they, they make friends on their journey. And, and they kind of create this army of light. Dragons, fairies, sulkies, all these other mystical creatures, unicorns to defeat to, to the forces of darkness. So that's, that's book one. And I really enjoyed that. And I made different worlds, but I also included London, London, England as part of this kind of universe, I guess, and other places. So that's book one. And then book two is Racine, where she goes to the Library of Congress, the world's largest library in Washington, D.C. So from there, she goes on this fantastical odyssey to meet some of her ancestors. And then she goes a whole bunch of adventures, as well as learning about herself and her family tree. And that's book two. And then book three is Circle, which is a culmination of many different things. And I was born in England and raised in Canada. So it's a homage to the Midlands, UK, where I was born, and also homage to Edmonton, especially Old Stracona. I used to live there. We still love her. She's suffering right now, but what do you do? Well, business is closing, as you know, right? So there, and also chronicling the University of Alberta. That's where I did my BA in sociology in my undergrad. And so I chronicle places like that, and they're actually characters in the story. So it's, it's global, it's local and global, because I feature also places in Ireland, other places in UK, as well as Edmonton. And so I kind of like doing all these different things. All the different stories of these different characters intersect 
one way or the other. And uh, things are awakened, memories are awakened, more discoveries of ancestors as that kind of thing all intersect. And we all have to become both mortals, human beings, and immortals, the mystical creatures, have to unite to become an army of light to defeat the whole all the forces of darkness that are threatening the whole universe. There's all these different universes and worlds going on and they all have to come together in harmony to defeat these forces of darkness. And that's book three. And so I'm proud of that trilogy and, and what I've done with it. Every word on the page I'm happy with. And I had a UK publisher for that one. And now I'm coming full circle again because um, for some who don't know, I started out in poetry and then morphed into prose. So a lot of us writers do that. And you, you know, Marty Atwood. Actually, Mark Atwood started out in poetry. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people know that. The reason I do, I studied her poetry in high school. And her poetry is phenomenal. It's like, oh man, just see a lot of interesting stuff going on. So she started, her genesis was poetry, then she morphed into prose. And I just found recently she published another book of poetry recently. Mm-hmm. She's also come full circle and she's doing poetry again. So I'm doing that with Phyllis now. Yeah. And Phyllis is about the first person of color to publish a book of poetry and she was a slave publishing in 1773 and I thought it was a monumental story to write about so it's kind of biographical and lens but also in a bit sci-fi because she travels through time kind of see how her work influences many different people in different aspects in time and it's just a whole bunch of different things I was doing which was kind of fun and I guess you can call it a novella in verse and that kind of thing and that came out in October 2020 last year through by University Calgary Mm-hmm. So that, that's a quite exciting endeavor. And she's getting really good reviews and responses. And so I'm again happy with that book too. And every word on the page I'm happy with, which I think is quite a victory. I read about some authors who are not quite so happy with their work, either dealing with editors or whatever. And even when it comes out, even if they win awards, they're still not happy with yeah. how their books yeah. turn out, which is kind of sad. Eh? This is not easy, I think. It's not easy to navigate that relationship, I guess. But I've been pretty lucky so far. Uh, with the publishers, editors I've worked with, and happy with the trilogy, happy with Phyllis. She's zooming around. Uh, she hit number one on the Amazon.say twice, once in November, once in August. And then after Thank you, thank you. This is so exciting. Yay! I'm so happy for you. I hit the holy grail for poetry. Who knew? <laughs> yeah. That's so hard. <laughs> I had no idea. Anyway, that's, that's quite the victory. Phyllis, from where she is in the celestial realm, she's quite pleased. So um, I'm <laughs> yeah. happy about that. So that was quite the endeavor. Not easy, though. I mean, um, I worked on the edits for Phyllis during the lockdown, the first one. And just, I was lucky to just finish it. There's so much going on. And with, of course, George Floyd and mm. what was happening from that. I just shed a lot of tears with that. And so as a person college, it's been a very hard time. Yeah. I mentioned the social isolation anyway. I spent a lot of time alone. And so it's not been an easy road for me for a lot of us as human beings. It has not been easy. So I just had to push through. Uh, no, I'm re- it's a victory. I just got the thing finished, really. It's just I was struggling with a lot of stuff, yeah. like a lot of us. So victory, she got finished and she's doing well. And I'm proud of sisterhood and I know what I'm doing next. So that's kind of the trajectory I'm on. And also I do visual art, which kind of informs, inspires my uh fantasy writing and this is how it worked out is things feed into each other and intersect it's not really a planned thing or anything but definitely I like doing different things i like mixing up just as a person anyway keeps me interested and so i'm not bored so that's kind of what i'm doing 
<laughs> That's just a few things. Yeah, just one or two Not things. that much. <laughs> yes, you can see there's a unicorn behind me and, and I think a sloth. They're hanging out. Rocky and Darcy <laughs> hanging out back there. They're, they're having good fun. Yay. <laughs> so cute. I love it. I see your Venetian mask too on the wall. Yeah, hey, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I was able to go to Venice before this landscape changed on us. I want you to talk a little bit about that aha moment for you when you knew you wanted to be an author, because you talked a little bit about how you grew up in the UK and then you came to Canada and stuff. So I feel like uh, as a fantasy author, maybe like traveling and sort of seeing different like cultures and experiencing different things is maybe like a draw for you to write fantasy, but especially like, okay, tell me if I'm saying this right. Your fantasy world is Werniverden. Is that yeah. right? Yes. Yeah. Got it in one. So how, what was the inspiration behind that? Kind of talk about when you first wanted to be an author and then the building of that world. I always loved to write, I think, since I was a kid. And back in grade six, way back, we could make our own books. And so I, I wrote this, like a children's book or story about, it was entitled The Grass People. So basically it was an analogy of the different seasons. And so I imagined my mind, the grass, and they're green and they're going out and playing their play clothes. And then the winter, they're covering them. So they're going to sleep for the winter and this blanket snow covers them. And then spring comes and the snow melts. The white comes off and that was out they go to play for a day, which is the summer season to us. Something like that, you know. Yeah. It's kind of fun. And so I did that. I did the illustrations and they were not very good, Kay. I've, I've, I've grown. <laughs> You're not very good. But that's okay. We all got to start somewhere. (laughs) So I did that. And junior high, I was writing, but I didn't do anything with it. High school's writing. I got something published in the high school newspaper. Actually, it was a story about drunk driving, which people really enjoyed. Very serious piece. Then I went to university. And even though I was taking courses undergrad uh, full-time, also writing on the side, I got some poetry published in The Gateway. You've heard The Gateway still exists. Gateway newspaper, which I think it's just online now, way. Eh? I think that's what I remember. What do you do? Anyway, I got published through the Gateway, poetry and stuff like that. And then, you know, I finished, well, I was in English, but for other reasons I won't get into. I, I finished up in sociology as a major and, well, you know, uh, I think it was a, a better way for me to go, but not really, but hey. And a double <laughs> minored in English and French. Well, I was young. Oh my God, old. Allison. <laughs> <laughs> you know what you do? So I made sociology, I finished that, did different things, and worked in retail, different things, but not really happy, really. Yeah. And I thought, you know, I've always wanted to go to grad school, and I applied to the U of A, didn't get in, it was not a big deal, really. And actually, they say, for grad school, you should go somewhere else anyway, uh, different from your undergrad anyway, and they're right. So I applied to different places, and ended up getting accepted by Hollins University in the States, in Virginia there. And it was good because it was flexible. You could do courses in real time, as well as online. Nice. So I did both worlds. So I, I went down there three times. The last time, and the third time, I did two courses at a time. It's intense. It's about six weeks. It's a lot. So the first two times, just one course each, just to see how I could navigate that landscape, how I felt about the pacing. And then the last time I went was two courses in six weeks, which is a lot, but I got it done and I did okay. I got two B's, I think it was pretty good, I think, for two courses in six weeks. Yeah, that's a lot. 
I was living in a library telling me I was living in the library. <laughs> it was hard. Holy. I had no idea. And uh, I'm the first one to go to grad school and finish with a master's. So it's like not a lot of people, there were no one right before me. So in your family? Yeah, in my family, in my immediate family. I have a cousin in England who did a MBA, but that's different from what we're doing, right? Because MBA, you don't even do a thesis. You just do courses yeah. and stuff. I need a thesis, which is a whole other level of stuff. Yeah. And so I navigated that and got it done. So through that program and through um, our director, she gave us calls for submissions for different things. I got a call for a submission for an anthology, a fantasy one. And I put in some poetry because I didn't have any short stories or anything ready. So I just put in some poetry. It got accepted. Then I found out and did some research that this publisher also publishes fantasy novels. So I thought, well, we're going to sisterhood and you just can't get rejected. But there was one publisher wanted to publish it on this ebook format, which is fine. But they didn't get their friendship to Opie Ori, which is kind of strange when a lot of people got it. So that, no, <laughs> you're not the one. Yeah, yeah. So uh, ended up being this UK publisher and he published a whole trilogy. And actually, yeah, like I just mentioned, um, for the book Wine Sisterhood, there are a lot of reviews, good reviews about the book. And a lot of people said they love the friendship between Opie and Ori. So yeah, that's like obvious. Book. I didn't need to do anything. And I knew that. So I thought, no, those guys didn't get it. And that's one thing I say, you got to go with gut instinct about not just books, but anything. As I was telling you something, you know, it's not right. In the pit of your stomach, go with it. Don't listen mm-hmm. to that person. Absolutely. Don't waste your time. And that's one thing I've learned. I've talked to some other people writing and too many cooks spoil the broth. One yeah. person you know, working on a novel and she's into all these other people and she get with this mismatch. It doesn't work. And another girlfriend of mine, she was in the same program again. She was doing another project, I think, and trying to work on his novel. And she had all these different inputs. She was so confused. She didn't know what to do. And so the novel didn't really go anywhere because she's trying to listen to all these different people. It doesn't work. In the end, you'll listen to your own voice. What is right? And then you want input, but don't ask for a lot of people. Is it too much going on? I'd say you ask for one or two, maybe, to give you feedback. And maybe go if that's what you want to do and go from there. Yes. Yeah. You, you know, take- I think that's really important to be honest. Cause I hear a lot of people, oh, I'm listening to this person. Well, you can't do that. You can't. There's too much going on, really. Maybe you get from one or two people you trust, and that's that will suffice if that's what you need to do. I have a good gut instinct about my work and I kind of know where it needs to go. I have me one girlfriend who'll look at it for different things, and that's basically it. You know, because I know exactly what I need to do with it. And I think it's important for not just writers, for anyone doing anything. You don't want to get off course. Listen to all these different people. Do this, do that. And you're just so confused. In the end, nothing gets done. Yeah, exactly. And it's good to get feedback from people. But like you said, trust that you have a vision for it. So you get to decide what you do with the feedback. It's not compulsory. You don't have to take it. Exactly. Yeah. Because I want to all the, the writers, people working on projects, please listen to your own voice. Trust it. Don't have doubts about what you want to do because in the end, it's your work, yours. And you are putting that out in the world, not these other people. It's you. Even in the day-to-day, you see how people present themselves and you can tell when people don't have a like a good sense of self. And that definitely translates into their work. Not necessarily, but you can see that sometimes where you're like, well, what are you actually saying? Because they don't really know. <laughs> yeah, no, it's important to listen to it. Save that time because you could be using that time on your project or on other things. Conquer that fear. 
You know, there's a famous passage, um, um, we're not given the spirit of fear, and we're not. And so you want to get rid of that. Face it, conquer it, and it's okay to make mistakes too. For a long time, I'm being honest, when I was younger, it took me a long while to get here. To me, it's a lot of work, this odyssey, literary and not and so on. And one reason why it took a while, I didn't listen to my own voice, but what I wanted to do. I was into other people, what I should be doing. And that took me a lot longer. I'm being honest. If I didn't listen to all those other people, I would have gotten here already a long time ago. <laughs> you know, you need to listen to your own voice. Don't waste years. Don't waste years. Life's too short. Just go for it. It's okay to make mistakes. Don't be in a state of paralysis. It never works. Never. Allison, why are you talking directly to me? (laughs) (laughs) I feel it. I feel it. You talked a little bit about how your vision for your work is always pretty clear. Can you talk specifically about the sisterhood books and what kind of themes you wanted to explore in those books? It was more organic. Like I didn't mm-hmm. think, oh, I got to put this in here. You got to put that in there. And that's not a good way to write, I think. I think you need to let things flow naturally. So for me, it was more organic. So there are themes of the power of the collective. I think that's important because we don't do anything alone. No. And I think people forget that. Yeah. So behind any successful person in any endeavor, there are many people behind them, lifting them up to where they are. And I think people need to remember that we all part of this chain. We're all connected. And I think people forget that too. What we do affects other people. It's, it's physics, really, you know, we're not alone in this universe. And what we do affects another person and the person and the person and so on. And all these things connect. So I, I think I, I write about that too, more in Reese's and Circle, about that, you know, the connection and kind of reverberations of one person's action leading to another action, another action, another action. But, you know, yeah, that kind of theme, also the importance of empowered female protagonists too. And I think that's important because growing up, there are many things going on as a person, color. I didn't see many people of color on TV. Now this is going way back. I remember uh, shows like Benson. I, I'm not sure if you know these shows. This is way, way, way back. But, you know, it's I look fabulous. So I'll talk about it anyway. Uh, in the 70s. So Benson, that was connected to Soap. It was kind of like a sitcom. Benson being one of the first sitcoms fe- featuring a, a Black person of, a person of color as a protagonist leading the show, driving the narrative, Benson. And uh, he was like the butler of this other character, this governor. But in the end, he became a governor of something himself. So it was very much a, a, a show driven by a Black character, a lead Black character, Robert Guillaume. People can Google it, Robert Guillaume. So I'm watching this like, wow, but you still see many of us, right? Or in Star Wars, right? Yeah. And Billy Dee Williams, like, yay! Someone in the star in that world and it's like, wow, yay, we see us. It's important to see ourselves too. So another reason I wrote The Sisterhood was uh, people of color. I want to see people of color as protagonists driving this story. Now, I love J.K. Rowling, you know, God bless her. But it's time for us as people of color to write our own stories. We can't rely on J.K. Rowling to do it for us. We got to do it ourselves. So that's another reason why it did the genesis of that. And of course, the female characters, protagonists, still very important. Uh, I was, I grew up in, a, in an interesting time. So 
I'm older than I look. <laughs> I love you. You look really good, Allison. <laughs> no one would ever know. <laughs> so I grew up with Charlie's Angels, Bionic Woman, Wonder Woman. Oh, I love the movies, by the way. That's the first one. So delightful. And so I grew up with very empowered female characters and Charlie's Angels and that. And I was very inspired by that, too. All my Barbie dolls were action heroes going on adventures, kicking butt, you know, and so I was already doing that before it was the thing to do. So I was always interested in that because again, there weren't many female role models doing different things. And my mom was a working mom way before it was a thing. It was just what she did because you know, we needed extra income, really. It wasn't just a thing to do for a social status, right? So we were doing a lot of things that other people weren't doing. My grandmother is Chinese, so she passed away many years ago, Jamaican Chinese, but she had her own business in Jamaica. So she was a, a businesswoman way back oh, during the Second World War and afterwards. Um, she came over from China because of communism, to escape mm-hmm. from that. And she started a new life in Jamaica. And there's a significant chunk of Chinese living in Jamaica, Jamaican Chinese, and I'm part of that. So she's my grandmother. So my mom's half Chinese. I got that ancestry too. So she was doing things again that women were not supposed to do. She's a yeah. businesswoman, entrepreneur, woman. So I had this in my ancestry already. So talking about these things, but noticing still it's lacking in the shows here, lacking in real life, lacking, lacking, lacking. You know, growing up, didn't know any female lawyers really or doctors, not really. Or when I went to U of A, you know, I saw some women professors, but as students, there weren't many people of color as students at the U of A. There were few. You count them on your two hands. There are few of us around. Of course, it's different now, right? But back when I was going to U of A, there weren't many people of color as students at all. I had maybe one yeah. professor, a person of color, one. And I was there at the U of A for six years, I think, six or seven. Wow. So diversity lacking. It's better now, but when I started, there weren't many of us. So representation is important. When you don't see yourself, you feel you're not part of society. And so that's one of the main reasons why I did it. And um, I like what JK was doing. And not just JK, C.S. Lewis, Tolkien or Tolkien, Mm -hmm. talking about serious issues in fantasy. Tolkien was writing about the First World War, as many people know. And the horrors of that you put into fantasy is an easier way to do it. Lewis talked about the Second World War, how the kids were evacuated from England, went to the countryside and so on. Because yeah. of the London Blitz and that, that's the genesis of the line of witch in the wardrobe, right? And girls, JK, what she was doing, she was really chronically in her own way in fantasy. And she talked about how the Jewish people were treated, actually, because I was reading, holy crap, she's referring to the Holocaust, and, and she is. And she talked about that, if you look it up. So, and she's doing that in the world of fantasy, right? The mud bloods, now they're treated and all that, right? No coincidence. So you can do all this in fantasy and if people just get the entertainment, great. Or they delve deeper, even better, which is what I'm doing, right? So all these things. So I think these themes are important, especially now. People have to know they're not alone. People have to know that they can make a difference. They can make a difference as one person, but you're working in a milieu of people too. Nothing is achieved on your own. There's a whole army behind you. It's like um, that saying in the Oprah reference that standing on the shoulders of your ancestors. I think we all are standing on the shoulders of our ancestors. One person does this, it leads to this, leads to that. 
more doorways are open because of this, because of that. You think the civil rights leader, like Rosa Parks and all that, 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 it all builds up, right? And so we got to remember all these things. So that's, that's kind of some of the reasons why I did it. I think I might do one more fantasy series. We'll see. I'm definitely going back into fantasy because I like doing different things. That's all I'm going to say. And we'll <laughs> see what happens from there. <laughs> I, lo- I love that you're trying to be like cagey about it, but you're also like excited. I can see in your yeah, face yeah, how excited yeah. you are. You talk a lot about community coming together to uplift us in our work. Who in your life has uplifted you? Okay, so many people. My aunt Ada, she passed away last year. She lived in London in the UK. Unfortunately, this new landscape could not see her. And that was very hard. And watching her moral service through Zoom, I'll say it, it was just surreal and frustrating. And um, what do we do? And a lot of us are in the same situation. We can't see our loved ones. So many of us, you know, like the West Indians here in Edmonton, we have so many people overseas, our families can't see them. Our friends are Irish, can't see their friends, family overseas. It's very heartbreaking, really. But Ada really lifted me up, and Ada, and she always just supported me in doing different things. When I finished my master's degree, it took me well, it took me nine years to finish for many reasons. One, health reasons, two, financial. Yeah. Um, I've been told a lot of people can't try to get grants and so on for masters, but it's very difficult, and it is. I had a lot of girlfriends trying to get grants, couldn't get anything for a master's level. And so a lot of us are struggling working through it. <laughs> um, I work part-time through it. I have girlfriends who work full-time and did grad school. That's even more hardcore. I, I can imagine. So it was very hard. But it is a no. You keep going, keep going. You'll get it done eventually. It doesn't, it doesn't matter how long you take to do it. The thing is, you're going to get it done. I remember when I got my driver's license, she was so supportive of me getting it. And that meant a lot to me because she, she, in, in her own life, she couldn't get a driver's license for many reasons. And so when I got it, she was so happy for me. And she told, I told her about the writer in residency as um, many know, I'm um, now writer residence of the Alexander Writer Center this year, 2021, from March to enemy. I told Ada about that, since she's lovely. She's like, lovely. And I just want to thank you again for coming on and dropping so much free wisdom on us. I just mm-hmm. feel honored to listen to you talk. Oh, yeah. you're, welcome. you're welcome. I'm like sitting here, like mm-hmm, absorbing yeah, it. Yeah. yeah. I agree. 100% <laughs> agree. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> okay. So I was actually telling Renee before we started recording with you that I was looking at your artwork as well as your writing. And I really very much enjoy your painting. It's very dynamic. There's a lot of like gestural strokes involved and it really is like, there's a like energy to it, which I very much enjoy. <laughs> I'm glad, yay! <laughs> so what I want to know is how does the visual art component fit into the realm of uh we're n- how do I say it? We're we're never done. We're never done. Yes. And your writing process. It's <laughs> <laughs> just very organic. Like I didn't plan it. So I just start painting at that why not i started drawing at first with pastels pastels are fun to draw with mm-hmm. i did some care just how it worked out i got some models things i got from the army and navy unfortunately she's gone but what do you do 
And then I got some things from Army and Navy and use those as models. And I started drawing and he's doing the pastels. And my cousin said, why are you doing this? I want to. This, this is fun. And doing the fantasy art. And I knew someone was doing fantasy art. Kind of a different variety. But I thought, hey, let's do something different. And so the Genesis started out with that. And this characters came out. I don't know how to explain it, really. So I just came up with these pieces. And they all had names. I gave them names. They're all hanging out in my study upstairs and they're happy and, and get along. Everyone's great. And then I thought, you know what? Now I need to work with acrylics because, um, as you know, displaying pastels is hard. Oh, yes. You got to them with glass and making it really messy and people touch it. It's just, wow. I thought, if I want to exhibit a little bit, I need to push myself into acrylics. Because it dries, you're done. Mm-hmm. People touch it, you're not traumatized. It doesn't smile. Right? Because I had a pastel and I was moving and it got a bit smudged. It was a little traumatized. But it's my work. Anyway, well, these are acrylics. You touch, it's all good. There's mm-hmm. no smudge action, it's all good. And I did some art, art stuff. Um, I've heard of it Five Artists, One Love. And they do things through the AGA as Darren Jordan. And he's my cousin. He's, he's great. He's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And I, I do things, put it in the community section of the wall. And I did a whole bunch of acrylic paintings that way. I did some drawings and then went into acrylics. I was part of a U of A exhibit about the healing arts of writing and the art, visual art. Oh, and that was great. It was back in 2012. We can look it up online. I have a catalog. We all got a catalog of people involved. Mm-hmm. 2012 and the merging of these all these different art forms in terms of healing and so on. And I talked about the importance of power of visual and their art to heal people. It's part of like art therapy and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And Rosina, one of the paintings um, was featured in that. So it was just a genesis and I just do different things. Again, I didn't take any art classes, like visual art class. I just do it. To be honest, it's why I'm thinking too. I think, well, I think you just got to do it. Mm-hmm. You just got to yeah. do it. 100%. Just do it. And just, and just see what you come up with. Great to take classes like visual art. Maybe I'll do in the future, you know, but it's good just to jump right into and, and see what manifests. And so, uh, yeah, I've had some good feedback in the visual, like what you said, um, Gio, about how dynamic it is and the breaststrokes. It just, I was just doing my own thing. And, you know, again, just following my own voice, again, listening to your own voice and doing what I wanted to do and I had a lot of fun. I wanted some art shops, got some acrylic paints and got some brushes and there you go, some canvases and shh. So I did that for, for quite some time. I've stopped now, but I will at some point go back into visual art. I'm probably going to do a doctorate in, I don't know, probably literary art, but I might do some visual art classes as part of it. I'll think of a way. And I might work on more of the visual art at that time. I know someone does both visual art and literary art, and you have to make a choice. So I'm focusing more on the literary right now. And I don't have time, yeah. unfortunately. It's just time. More with the visual art. It's just, just not enough time, not enough hours in the day. Exactly. <laughs> not enough hours in the day. But how it just it just it just manifested herself. I think I was talking to someone. She was saying when you do different art forms, like vastly between the literary and visual art forms, it can inspire uh, whatever art form. So for me, the writing, and I guess it's true. But I'm gonna be honest. I don't really think about it that way. I just like doing different things. 
Mm-hmm. And in the art world, I can do different things. I've never been a math person, to be honest. <laughs> I can add, subtract, <laughs> and budget. I can budget. Welcome. <laughs> I was never a science person, really. I'm an artsy. I, I'm artsy. I'm artsy all the way. This is how it is. So in no the art world, <laughs> you understand? <laughs> I'm being honest, man. Me numbers, we get a lot okay. We're not quite my friends. Not quite. <laughs> We're not buddies. We're not buddies. But I can do what I can do. So um, you know, with the art, I can do different things, and I just enjoy doing that. So I put that on the website, and I thought, well, I had my name as a website name, and then I didn't pay for it, and then I did different things. I thought, well, let's go to something different. It's this realm of we're never did. I thought, okay, sound kind of cool, and. Realm of Wordnivardin.com. All right. And I just put the paintings on there and different things going on. I made a little bit of stories and put them on there. And I think someone else complimented me on my website. And that's kind of nice. And, you know, let's do something different. And uh, some of the girls are on there, as you know, who are paintings I've done. Mm-hmm. And it's just they end up in the books, just how it's worked out. And I'm sure they end up in the books in the future, too. I think it's how it's working out again. So it's just, a intersection of different things. I say to people, not just for whatever you're doing, just as a human being, just try different things. Yeah. Mix it up. Have some fun with different art forms. You know, with art, you can do anything you want to do. And I talk to someone because I'm more from a medical background. I have a lot of uncles and aunts or nurses. Uh, to an uncle's a doctor. So highly medical. Highly, this is so not me, but you know, <laughs> highly medical. And in that world, you're very regimented. You have to do things a certain way, right? Yeah. You kill somebody, you have to do things a certain way. It's medical, right? But arts are not like that. You can do whatever you want to do. And it's a much different world. So I can do whatever I want to do, make up my own rules or break rules and you do your own thing. So I think with the visual art, it, it freed me to different things and think, use my brain in a different way. Yeah. Yeah. And try a different skill set. No, I'm not the most brilliant painter, not saying that, but I'm enjoying it, having fun. And people like it. Geo, what you said was really nice. Mm-hmm. You know, because it's a lot of work in those paintings as you figured out. It's a lot of work. You know, just try to find ideas, how to present, how to do this, how you do that, to rethink. Oh, how do I do this? And what kind of brush should I use? And just try to think, think, okay. And, and you know, it's kind of some thing, all thinking involved and the choice you had to make. And okay, there's a lot of work, mm-hmm. each piece. Oh, neat. And trying to get the right sunlight, daylight to work on these things. And, you know, wow. And so it was a lot of choices had to be made. But I think the, I think the paintings worked out well. Some were part of different art exhibits and shows, which I think is kind of cool. It's kind of all coming full circle. But, yeah, I just continue doing different things. And I'm going to say another thing. I think it's very important for everybody. You can't do it all. <laughs> can't do it all. I mean, that's coming from me. You can't do it all. Now I think you're talking to me. Because <laughs> <laughs> okay. that's my that's that's my cross to bear. Because I tried to do everything. <laughs> you can't. You you can't. <laughs> I've tried. You can't. You can't. You can't do it all, man. You can't do it all. I know. It's just exhausting to try. And, you know. And I tell my, you know what. You only have one life to live. You can only do so much. So you choose what you have, what you can do. Don't have a nurse breakdown. Especially now you need to take care of yourselves right now, mentally and physically, mm-hmm. really, especially now. And then I made a perverse choice to kind of cut back a lot because I need to stay physically healthy and mentally healthy. 
being before this new landscape, we're uh, navigating now. We can't do it all. And so people try to say you can. No, it's a lie. You can't do it all. So I choose. So right now, I do more of the literary. Uh, we'll go back into visual art when I can. But I think there's a certain freedom in that too, knowing that you're only one person and you can't do it all. And it's okay. They're not a failure. Mm-hmm. They can't do everything. And if you think other people are doing everything, they're not. And it's mm-hmm. not what it, it's reappearing to be. They're giving up. There's a cost to everything. So people try and do it all. There's a cost to that too, right? I'm very, I'm, I'm very hard on myself, you know, to be honest. But I'm willing to be kinder to me. Allison and talk about Phyllis because we talked about her a little bit already but I want to talk about how you came to the idea for the book like what made you want to write about Phyllis Wheatley and what did you learn about her life as you wrote the book was there any like preconceptions you came into writing the book with that changed over time I think with Phyllis I found out about her through um, my professor Teresa Zakonik she did a wonderful blurb my book and she introduced me to Phyllis and I just thought it was a phenomenal story you know slave basic kidnap committed from Senegal Gambia no one knows for sure one of those places knowing that you weren't going to see your parents again coming to Boston at seven or eight not knowing a soul your life ripped from you and yet she was able to not only learn all that she was a child prodigy so she learned Greek Latin English at a very young age, very quickly. Uh, learned about the Greek classical literature and mythologies and all that, because back in the day, that's what people learned in school and that, in their own studies. And then used that as a launching pad to write poetry. And not only that, published this book of poetry. And just the odyssey in that, doing that, I think is quite amazing. With all the obstacles she had to face, and then knowing when she was younger, knowing that publishing this book of poetry would be a gateway to her freedom, a gateway. And it was, as soon as the book was published, she was freed, she got her emancipation. So she knew. But what she did, I have to say, I really admire her because she had to create a lot of allies. And a lot of these allies were either for slavery or had directly had slaves themselves. Mm-hmm. How hard is that to align yourself with these people to achieve the mission, to achieve that goal. That must have been very hard for her. And she had no choices really, but to do that. And I re-admire her for what she had to navigate just to achieve that goal to get her freedom. But not only was it to achieve her freedom, it was basically an ode, a plea for all people of color to be free, which I think a lot of people are realizing now, more people reason realizing that now and just the smartness the double entendres and all that i think a lot of people still don't realize if she was more upfront with being anti-slavery she would have been killed because black people were not especially slaves were not supposed to use your voice mm-hmm. to echo to illustrate about the injustices going on and i think i wrote about in the book how there are a lot of black people slaves and there are like curfews and that kind of thing if you're seeing on the streets beyond a certain time, you could have been jailed or punished further, these things. So black people then did not have much in terms of rights. It's kind of, <laughs> it's kind of reflective now in a way, right? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of, we have not a lot of change. 
but it just re reflective of how it more even more so back then if you couldn't even freely move as a black person yeah. on the street do you think she could say yeah slavery is bad blah 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 I, I don't think so right so she had to be very careful about how she voiced these things and it's very really smart the way she did it and I really admire her for that so taking Teresa's class and I was meditating on what to do for this creative writing thesis for my master's degree. I was going to do something else, but I switched to that. Why not Phyllis? I think she called to me to do it. And it's been a privilege writing about her. I really think she helped guide me through the process, her spirit. I do. I consider her one of the ancestors, and though we're not blood related, but being a woman of color, I think we're still connected. And I think she guided me through. Even what was happening with George Floyd, I really think she got in me too, telling me in her own way that, you know, keep going this, this, what you're saying is very important even now still. And I think she was guiding me through the process. I do. And I think she's happy with the book too. I feel that. I think she's very pleased up there in the celestial realm and at peace. There are people who didn't get her stuff thinking she's like the Uncle Tom of literature and it's kind of crap. But there are academics now, Henry Louis Gates, a whole bunch of people, John Shields, who are seeing what she was actually doing. And she wasn't pandering to, to the, the, the white people who had slaves. She was actually clearly proclaiming for freedom, but in an incognito way, because she had to be incognito. Yeah. But when you know the mythologies and what she's talking about, the people she's referring to, you get it quite clearly. And she was clearly doing that. And I think it was a class, I was doing some research, I think it was a class at the University of Toronto or something talking about the, the, the world play, the double word play, what she was going on. And, and it's, it's very obvious that's what she was doing purposely. And people back then were more versed in a different mythologies, were more versed in a different definitions of words, more versed in the literary. And they would have got that clearly right away, what she was saying. So I think it's quite a victory. It called to me to write it in poetry. It's a combination poetry and, and prose poetry. It called to me to write it that way. As well, she was a poet anyway. And it's called to me to write it that way. And it's how it worked out. And to write through her voice, first person. And, um, and as I mentioned, where she goes through time, uh, meeting other people in a mystical way, people were inspired by her work. And I, I, uh, a list illustrate a whole bunch of people. And I think when you're a writer, you just don't know who you will influence in the present and her future. You just don't know. Mm -hmm. Actually, when Phyllis was writing it, she was like, yeah, you know, and if it was this person and I'm you know, the first African-American to post a book of poetry and say, yeah, you know, I don't think she was thinking, I was thinking it just has to be done. Not only do I want to get my freedom by publishing this book of poetry, I want to use it as a plea, uh, a literary argument to free all of my people. So she was on a mission for those two reasons. Now, I've met a lot of people in my time. I've met Stan Lee, architect of the Marvel Universe. I've met Dr. Jane Goodall. I, I've met B.B. King. I met a whole bunch of people in these different, and they are the masters. I call them the masters. They're the masters in their fields. I met Margaret Atwood. She was really nice. I didn't tell her about the sisterhood. I actually read it, but I told her about it. <laughs> I love that. She's just so nice. So I'm all these different masters in different areas. And the one common theme for them is about the work. And they're very humble. 
They're brilliant in whatever area, but they're very humble and will talk about their work. And that's where it's at. It's not about the prestige and the fame and all that. It's about the work. Yeah. I hear about Stan Lee, Simon Holler, or it's like being at the campfire telling stories. Like, wow, this is Stan Lee. It's quite exciting. Whoa. <laughs> and Dr. Jane Goodall is so nice. And she talked about her journey and getting a doctorate. And people were mean. And because she didn't do her BA, BSC, they didn't want her to be. I think she went to Cambridge, I think. She did a doctorate. And they didn't want her there. I said, oh, you don't belong here. You don't belong here. Because you didn't do the BA or this, and that, and this, and that. But she couldn't afford to do the undergrad. Mm-hmm. So she had to do it a different way to get there. But she got it done. And her mom was very supportive of that. So here are all these different dreams. B.B. King, same way. It's all these different people. It's about the work. That's the mission, the work, the work. I like listening to you. <laughs> I know. I'm just saying this is amazing. <laughs> like, I, I feel like normally I'm usually way more interactive, but I've just, I'm literally just like, hmm, yeah, go on. <laughs> <laughs> We're here to listen as long as you'll talk to us pretty yeah. much. Yeah. yeah. No. But I find it inspiring that I met these masters, all these different worlds. And that's a common thing. It's about the work. B.B. Right. Right. King, he, I'm not sure he had an actual home. He was went from hotel room to hotel room touring the world. Just playing. Doing his stuff. Yeah. Him and his Lucille. Wow. You know, just doing his thing. Yeah. Wow. You know, that, that inspires me. It's about the work in the end. That comes through so clear, Allison, when you talk about your approach to everything. It's just this idea that you're engaging with the things that bring you joy and your approach is so joyful. Like I was trying to explain to Gio what you were like before we came on the call. And I was like, she's like a light in the room, like literally talking to her. It's just going to like make you happy because that's what I remember from talking to you. Like every time we met in person (laughs) and it comes through. Thank you so much. <laughs> well, I do what I can. I do what I can. I've had a hard road, but I try to be positive as much as I can do. I try to be positive, you know, and I just enjoy creating things. I think you've actually given us a lot of advice talking to us tonight, but if there was one thing, like if you could boil it down to one thing, what advice would you give to writers or any artists, really the visual artists or poets who are just starting out? Well, I'll just kind of reiterate what I said before I reiterate. So, importance of listening to your own voice, listen to your gut instinct. If you're going to have people review your work, that's fine, but don't have too many people. Have one or two give you feedback. So then you're not so mired in the confusion and the muck of that kind of, you know? Yep. You just need one or two people, maybe. Do what you enjoy doing, pace yourself, social media. It's more for promotion. Just do what you can do. Mm-hmm. Focus on one or two platforms that will suffice. Have fun doing what you're doing. Become a member of an organization. For example, I'm a writer. So I remember the Writers Guild of Alberta. I'm also member of the Canadian Authors Association. Stuff like that. And just attend a lot of online events. Just do what you can to connect to people. You want to be part of whatever community you want to be involved in. And I will suggest when you can, and I'm not sure when this last is going to change, but when you can, meet people face-to-face. Go to conferences, totally. that kind of thing. But again, you got to do online right now. Just do what you can do. Do the online events, conferences, do what you can do. 
And hopefully it'll then it'll open up to when you can do face-to-face again, do the face-to-face. So where can people find you online and buy your books? So online, okay, we'll start with Phyllis. So Phyllis is, you can get online through Chapters Indigo. You can also go on the University of Calgary website. So that's online too. Um, you can go on Amazon and get it. I think there's some copies at Audrey's in Edmonton or the Edmontonians. Mm-hmm. And I think there's some at the Glass Bookshop in Edmonton. Then Sisterhood now for the Edmontonians. You can get from Chapters Terralosa. Chapters in Albert, they have the whole trilogy. And if you want to go online, get from the Amazon. Do you have a website? I, I do. I school by the way, never been one, but I, I'm totally honest, you can reach me more. I have a Facebook author page, Allison Clark, and a little icon of Big Ben on there. So you look it up, you'll see it. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming to talk to us, yes. Allison. It's nice, nice to talk to people. Nice. Oh my god allison's that, audio was she was not lying when she said crunchy because mm-hmm. she was so clear like it was fine yeah and then um, like literally minute like as it was like so where can people find you i know, <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> the mike gremlins were attacking yeah. her i know um otherwise though yeah she's a gem and oh my god Very she had, like so. so much just like such practical stuff to say about like what it is to like do the work and just mm-hmm. be in the stuff that you like. That's what I like so much about her is that she's so unpretentious about the way that she writes. She's just like, I write yeah, stuff that I, I like and that I want to do and I just do it. Yeah. And I'm like, oh my God, how do I do that? <laughs> like, <laughs> fuck. She is like such a natural storyteller. Yeah. Right? She's talking. It's like, you're just there with her and you're like, yeah, yeah keep going. Like every yeah. time she stopped, I was like, that's it you're not gonna keep talking well, like, like even as she's like we're sitting there and i'm like oh right we're actually interviewing <laughs> we, we need to like not, for like the purposes of the podcast we need to move things along but like i know me aside of that i'm like mm-hmm, keep, yes please <laughs> give us more of your wisdom yeah she's so great i love her to bits mm. yeah she's like one of the first authorly people i met in edmonton and she's just yeah i just like her so much she's so approachable she's so encouraging like mm-hmm. she is great But anyway, I definitely got that sense like of what Allison was talking about in terms of like people accusing Phyllis Wheatley of kind of being like an Uncle Tom, like somebody who wanted to assimilate to whiteness because that was how it was presented or how I understood it, like from the Ibram X. Kendi book. So now I'm like, man, I got to do some supplementary reading because she's just such an interesting person in history. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And yeah, I really want to check out Allison's book as well the world that she created sounds very interesting especially now that i've seen the paintings that go with it where it's like these are the characters i'm like oh that actually yeah i love that there's there was like a concurrent creation process for her where it's like she was drawing and like painting things and then it's like oh yeah these characters like showed up in my paintings and then i put them in my books and i'm like oh my god that's such a cool way to do that i couldn't imagine putting the characters that i drew as a kid into books (laughs) (laughs) i'll do it for you darling yeah yeah. Well, I want to thank everybody for listening to me. And to me. And if you have any questions about the characters that Geo drew as a child, please email <laughs> us at listen to me gmail at podcast or at podcast. Oh my god. I literally said listen to me gmail at podcast.com, which is our <laughs> new email address. So you have to email us there. Sorry. 
It li- literally, you wrote it wrong again because <laughs> you copied it. It's listen to me podcast at gmail. I'm not even <laughs> reading it. That's how bad of a train wreck this is right now. That's happening. <laughs> or you could just check us out on social media. <laughs> yeah, just do that instead. We talked. We talked in the episode about how you know, just choose one channel. Go to Instagram. Ugh. We don't even use the other two. Let's just get rid of. Facebook and Twitter. We don't no, use No, I want to keep I want to keep the handles, but we don't use yeah, them. Yeah, of course, but I mean like I'm just, I'm just, anyway, I just go to Instagram. That's where I post it. Just everything. go to Instagram, it's fine. And Speaking also things, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Go 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 go. You know what else is fun? Our Patreon. You can go to <laughs> patreon.com/listen-to-me-pod to find out more about how you can get a bunch of bonus content like blog posts and extra episodes and Lots, Lots of things of you don't get on the podcast. Stream. That's right. And you can support Feed. us. Your favorite yes. idiots. I speak mostly for myself. <laughs> well, you're my favorite idiot. Thank you. <laughs> and as usual, the music in this episode is graciously provided by audionautics.com. Goodbye. Goodbye. Farewell. Adieu. Avita Zane. Avita Zane. Ciao.